listeners, welcome back to State Hornet Spotlight. My name is Dominique Williams, your visuals editor. I'm with Laura, Sac State's confidential campus advocate. Laura, can you describe for our listeners what your role is on campus? My role on campus, like you said, is the confidential advocate. So I provide confidential support and resources for the students of Sac State who've experienced either past or present sexual assaults, intimate partner violence, harassing, and or stalking. So just going back to what you said, so the their experience doesn't have to have been recent or does it have to be on campus? No, and I love getting that question because it's really important. I always kind of say somebody can experience something two minutes ago or 20 years ago. There's no time frame in which someone can come and access care and resources and be met with an abundant amount of support. Okay, and for our listeners who may not know, can you describe what WEAVE is? Yeah, so WEAVE is located right here in Sacramento. We're on K and 19th, and we are a nonprofit organization. We support survivors of sexual assault, intimate partner violence, and sex trafficking, and our mission is to promote safe and healthy relationships. Okay, so WEAVE is not located on campus. No, so about two and a half years ago, Sac State reached out to WEAVE and said, hey, let's form a partnership. Let's have someone on campus that can specifically serve this population as college students do experience higher rates of sexual assault. Okay, and what type of support does WEAVE offer survivors of sexual violence? I'm really excited to share that we offer a lot. So I could go into it a whole bunch, but we'll kind of break it down into, we obviously have prevention and education. So we believe strongly in educating the public, the community, college campuses, high schools, elementary, about what sexual violence is, what does healthy versus unhealthy relationships look like. So we have a big prevention and education team providing those resources. But then we have anything from counseling support, safe housing support, a support line that folks can utilize and call 24-7. We have an incredible legal team that offers support around supporting survivors, filing a restraining order, working through child custody, divorce, anything like that that they may need, and as well as like financial aid workshops, how to like regain control of finances, and really anything else. And what's important to kind of note too is all of the services that we've provides is not only free, but it's also offered for secondary trauma survivors. So maybe a child who has witnessed intimate partner violence within their family, um, maybe a spouse of somebody who has experienced sexual assault in the past or the present. So that's something to note as well, that our services don't just support survivors, but the support group that survivors have. Um, How did your background prepare you for this role? So I actually went to Sac State, so stingers up, Um, and it was a really good experience. I got my degree in social work, and it kind of prepares you to provide support to communities. And what was cool is my last semester, you enter this pretty intense internship you know, opportunity and you serve a specific community. Um, And I served in a suicide prevention program. um, And what I found was that some of the, you know, support that I was providing was for survivors of sexual violence and intimate partner violence. Um, And then when I graduated, I took time to think about, you know, what community do I want to serve next? And I saw this job opening that entailed you know, a campus advocate, and I thought, perfect, that's what I want to do. I want to make sure that there's more resources for students who have experienced these very traumatic um, events, because without this support, um, 
sometimes folks feel like they can't continue on with their education. Maybe they leave, um, you know, their jobs. Maybe they leave their their school. Um, and without support, how else are they supposed to continue on and find success? So that's kind of what drew me to this is it sounds kind of strange, but I'm very, very passionate about supporting survivors and just providing equitable and uh, really important resources for students. And just to clarify, do you mind kind of defining what sexual violence or domestic violence is? Yeah, yeah. I'm really glad you asked that question because when we go and do prevention and education work, sometimes those definitions get really misrepresented, right? We're on like TikTok, we're on social media, we watch some, you know, things like Game of Thrones that are very, very, um, misrepresented of what healthy versus you know unhealthy relationships look like and sexual violence so when we think about what sexual assault looks like there's this false narrative that someone has to experience rape in order for it to be qualified as sexual assault Um, and sexual assault is any sexual contact or behavior without affirmative consent Um, and then in the same you know, in the same idea, domestic violence or intimate partner violence is any form of physical or the threat or the intent of to cause harm to somebody that is either a current partner or a past partner. But remembering that intimate partner violence is that abuse equals power and control. So someone wanting to obtain power and control over another person. And what would you describe or what would What's an example, I guess, of affirmative consent? Yeah, affirmative consent is, so we love this no means no, and we don't want it to go anywhere, right? Keep utilizing that. But we also really want to emphasize that affirmative consent is yes, really acknowledging, yes, I'm okay with this. Yes, move forward. And yes can be done in many different ways, right? It's engaging in touch right back to them. It's pulling someone closer to you. it's a way that someone feels comfortable engaging and continuing moving forward. And so that affirmative, comp- uh, that affirmative consent piece often looks like, um, you know, clear communication about what you're engaging in, what's going on, what is the situation. It needs to be consistent, right? So continuously having conversations just because you're giving consent on like a Monday doesn't mean you're going to want it on a Friday. Or just because you're saying yes to one act doesn't mean you're saying yes to everything else, right? And that's really important to remember too. Um, affirmative consent also looks like acknowledging you can't give consent if you are incapacitated by drugs or alcohol. Um, and so all of that together really encompasses that affirmative consent piece. Okay. How do you think being a survivor and some of the feelings that come with that affects how survivors reach out for support? I think in 2022, where everything's super accessible through media, everyone's lives are on display, um, it can be really, really limiting for survivors to feel like there's even support present because of how scrutinized people are when they do come out, when they do reach out for support. We see how like media handles very famous people when they come out and say, hey, I have experienced sexual assault. Um, there's this victim blaming, you know, in this rape culture that really uh, creates 
big boundaries into why folks don't report or why folks don't even disclose. So I think when we look at it from that lens that there's a lot of barriers that are set up to kind of silence survivors, it makes it harder for them to come forward because who's going to believe them? And then if someone does believe them, what's going to happen? So what what does Weave do to make survivors feel comfortable coming forward? Yeah, I think what we try to do is provide resources in all areas. And I think the big piece about being confidential and being an advocate is we can provide all of the resources, but ultimately it's listening to the survivor and what they want to do. So maybe we have an idea of what we think maybe could be could be helpful for them it's not up to us to decide what's going to be best for them what we try to do is create safe environments so that confidentiality piece is a huge safety net it means nothing that students come and talk to me about is ever reported and it never goes to law enforcement it doesn't go beyond my office and my scope and it allows students this kind of comfortability or the clients who go to weave and access care this comfortability that I can share my story and there's no pressure on me to do X, Y, and Z. And I get to decide as a survivor what I want to be done with my story. And then what we try to do with that is listen and validate. It's okay if you don't run a report. Can we offer you some counseling so someone's chatting with you and checking in on you? Or it's okay you don't want to talk to a counselor. Is there other ways we can support you? Can we call you next week and check in? It's really listening to what the survivor wants and then honoring that. I think that's the best way that you try to create safer environments for survivors to feel more comfortable accessing that care and accessing that resource. If a survivor did want to make a report, what type of reporting options do they have? So I like to look at this in the lens of a student at Sac State because that's kind of my domain and I feel the most comfortable really highlighting that they have many options, which I think sometimes students really don't know all of the resources that are there and not by any fault of their own. Sometimes it's hidden or unfortunately sometimes you have to experience something in order to know that a resource is there. And that's the exact opposite of what we want to do. So when we go out and we present and we provide that prevention and education Um, you know, programming, it's reminding folks that for students, you have three options. I always kind of say four, because the fourth one is you never have to do anything you don't want to do. But our first three, or the first of the three is campus police. I always kind of point out that if a student experienced sexual assault by another student, the campus police can be a great asset in providing that protective support, um, really providing safety for that student. Now, if assault occurred maybe in Sacramento or in another city or town, reporting to their local law enforcement and getting you know, a report going wherever that may be. And even though I'm here in Sacramento, we've had many students reach out to me and utilize me for support in filing restraining orders or police reports in other counties and other cities. So definitely utilize that as a resource. 
And then the last one is Title IX. So Title IX is a federal program across all college campus universities that protects a student's rights to access their education regardless of discrimination. So where this kind of comes into play is if a student experienced sexual assault by another student on campus, Title IX can provide another layer of protective measures, removing that perpetrator from classrooms, providing safety measures and no contact order making sure that that student maybe receives some academic support accommodations while they're ongoing an investigation against that other student. So really talking through all of these reporting options with them and then being really specific about timelines. How long does it take to hear from a detective? How long does it take to hear from an investigator? When do I get results, right? It can be really lengthy. And the best thing you can do for a survivor is be incredibly transparent. Never sugarcoat. Never, you know, say, oh, like in a couple weeks or, you know, because you want them to feel hope about reporting. Being transparent never really deters them. They feel more empowered to really have control over knowing, okay, if I report to my campus police because they're here at Sac State, I might hear a little bit sooner or the process might look different because it's another student. If I report to my local law enforcement, it might take a little bit longer, but it might be the best option for me and then Title IX. So being really transparent about what each of those options look like and then reminding them that can be a heavy conversation take time and think about this you don't have to decide anything today unless you're ready to decide it and get going but you don't have to think about answering me today about whatever you want to do we have plenty of time and so I think providing lengthy but very very transparent details of what each reporting option looks like is incredibly beneficial with the recent allegations that ex-Chancellor Joseph Castro mishandled sexual assault complaints, do you think that students can still trust the Title IX program? That is such an important question and completely valid, and I think it is on a lot of people's hearts and minds right now. I always like to be a glass-half-full kind of person just because when we're doing this work, we believe in hope and we believe in change. Um, I've had the privilege of being here at Sac State for about two and a half years and working really closely with the Title IX program here at Sac State, and they're full of very dedicated, incredible, hardworking folks. And it's always important to recognize and feel validated that when a system is built to protect you um, and scandals and really inappropriate behavior comes out of those programs, it's incredibly disheartening. And there is a moment of mistrust and broken trust. And I think it will take a little bit to kind of rebuild this. But I do encourage folks that if that is a resource they want to utilize, try to remember that there are good folks doing this work, but really trying to validate that if there's hesitancy, if there's nerves about it, Rightfully so. And I think that's the most unfortunate piece about kind of reiterating what I said. This system was built to protect people. And when it's so public that it was, you know, clearly wrong and this wrongdoing is probably going to sit here for a while, uh, it definitely is going to impact some folks' decisions on whether or not they trust this process or trust this Title IX program at their own universities. But I do encourage folks to remember that trust what they want to do. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to access other resources if that's what makes them feel safe and makes them feel comfortable. 
but also it's just a very, very devastating situation. And I think right now our focus needs to go to survivors and validating that the people close to this have, you know, a lot of mistrust and and broken trust that it's going to be hard to come back from. Um, But I think remembering that here at Sac State, you know, we do have a great Title IX office that provides incredible resources and utilize other resources on campus, too, if, if folks feel like that is what's most comfortable for them. Part of Castro's exit deal was that he's able to obtain a 10-year teaching job at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Do you think that students there will feel safe with him teaching there, or just in general, what's your opinion about that? I think there will definitely be a cloud over that environment. The purpose of, you know, the Title IX role is to provide protective and supportive measures for students who face any adversity. So when we talk specifically about students who uh, have unfortunately experienced sexual assault and then knowing that that kind of presence will be on their campus, it's not going to create the most safe, welcoming Um, protective environment that we here at Sac State are striving for every single day. You keep saying that assaulters want to assert power over their victims. Why do you think that is? Folks are feeling if there's anxiety, if there's apprehension, it's rightfully placed. Just think of that sentence, right? They have that power and control over another person. So they are able to uh, fulfill their needs through that person and not in a healthy and respectful and safe way. Um, And in doing so, some people really fuel themselves by maintaining that power and control over other people. And really, it's deeply rooted in just the word abuse. Abuse equals that power and control. So whether it's sexual assault or intimate partner violence, Violence, folks want to be the folks who are perpetrating the abuse or perpetrating the assault. They want that power and control over that person, no matter the cost. Why do you think it's important for survivors to reach out for support? Because there are so many resources and support out there that folks who have experienced sexual assault or intimate partner violence, they don't have to go through those experiences alone. Um, You know, I want to validate folks who don't want to share their story, who keep it private and recognize that that is an okay, you know, situation to do with your story and your life. But I think the more that we raise awareness about what kind of supports there are, what resources there are, hopefully it lands with somebody who's maybe deciding between do I hold this story close to me or do I utilize the service that has been highlighted and shows, you know, that if I go there, I can access counseling and and my kids could have support. I think sometimes it's folks don't know it's out there and so they don't reach out for it or maybe there has been, you know, broken trust in the systems that are out there. But there are people who are doing the work who want to do the work. And I think it goes back to kind of a simple way of explaining it, but community. I don't want folks to go through this alone if they don't want to. I want to be there for them and support them because survivors are worthy and valid. And um, I think the more that we can raise them up and make them feel that love and acknowledge their experience, I think that's often how we can kind of get rid of those barriers and more folks might feel comfortable coming forward. If a survivor doesn't want to tell their story or to Mm -hmm. talk to someone, what other things do you 
suggest that they do to help themselves heal? Yeah. I've had a couple survivors just come and talk to me and that's it. By a couple, I mean actually quite a few, you know? And so maybe they're chatting to one or two people, but no one else. Again, that confidentiality piece can really provide that safety where some folks will come and share everything and then say, no, I don't want any support. I don't want any resources. Um, Or maybe that person doesn't even come to any kind of support. They're just walking out there holding this, you know, close to their hearts. And I think the more that we can provide as a community understanding of sexual assault, understanding of intimate partner violence, so that if someone does share, that person's met with, you know, resources and support. And maybe those people who are carrying those experiences close to their hearts somehow feel supported by that as well. Um, and I think for folks who are, you know, listening sounds cheesy, but listening or who hear other people feel, you know, validated sharing their experiences that it's also okay. Um, and I always encourage them to take care of themselves and remember their worth and that sexual assault and intimate partner violence is not defined someone. How can survivors feel safe in knowing that the information that they share is confidential? Yes, yeah, so I have folks sign an ROI, and that is the only way that I share any information. So it's with their consent that information leaves my office. Otherwise, it stays just with me. I don't take any notes. I don't take anything down. Uh, when they leave, I don't write anything identifying about them, and it really provides that safety where um, they don't have to sign in. They don't have to sign their student ID number. They don't have to give me their first full middle phone number email anything like that uh, they can literally say hey can I have an appointment for Jay at three and I will be like absolutely we don't need any more information than that because all I care about is just making sure that students met and connected to support so that's something that I feel really strongly about that we feels really strongly about is we don't need to collect all this data about who's coming and seeking support all that matters is you need an appointment perfect we don't need to collect anything identifying about you For our listeners who may not know, can you explain what an ROI is? Yeah, so an ROI is a release of information. So let's say a student does come and, you know, discloses everything and would like a couple days or minute, hour, whatever, to think about what their next steps are. Um, When they're ready to move forward, maybe they want connections to counseling or maybe they want connections to um, me accompanying them to file a police report or a restraining order. Then what I would do is I'd kindly ask them if they can sign an ROI and then that would allow me to, you know, interact with the officer or interact with the counselors and connect them um, because it shows that this is their story, this is in their control, this is what they want me to do and I won't do anything without that, that signature and with that, without that um, ROI. So that's something that you're able to do. You can assist a survivor in filing a police report or Mm -hmm. a restraining order? Absolutely. So if I haven't said it already, I like to say anywhere a student can go at Sac State on the campus, I can go with them. So if they want to report to campus police, I can go with them and provide that emotional support. Sometimes it's just nice to have another set of eyes and ears who like knows the process there with them. 
and then check in. How are you doing? Are you okay? I can also provide that emotional support that if, you know, the officer or the investigators just go in too quickly, we slow things down. We take a break. Um, and that goes for counseling visits, getting connected to the CARES program. Again, anywhere on campus, Title IX, investigating uh, interviews, anything like that. Um, and then, of course, they can't go off campus. So if a student would like to report to, let's say, you know, Sac County Police Department, we can either provide them with a connection to Sac, you know, to the Sac Police Department um, and let them know everything that they would need and prepare them for that. Or they can do the phone call with me in the room in my office, or they can file an online police report with me right there, kind of supporting them. If they need a couple questions answered, we can talk about what boxes to click, what's going to be best for them, how much information they want to share, and whatnot. Would you say that it's important for survivors to seek support or share their experience at their own pace? Oh, absolutely. I think that is one of the most important aspects of this job is reminding all all other folks in these scenarios that the survivor will do what they want to do when they want to do it. And that includes even if the survivor is like, yes, I want to report, let's do it right now, I'm amped, I'm ready to do it. It also means reminding that investigator, reminding that uh, police officer or whoever, hey, we're going to take this slow. We're going to take it at their pace. If they want to break, they want to break. Um, and luckily, we've been here for two and a half years that those processes are really smooth. So if a student does want an interview with Title IX, the investigator at Title IX is really good at checking in. Hey, should we take a five-minute break and come back to this? What other support can I offer you right now? Do you need to go in the breakout room with Laura? Do you need to leave the office? And just making sure that it's as slow as they want. And actually, consent comes into this piece. The survivor can say no at any time and be done with it at any time. And then other folks need to be respectful and understanding of that. Is there anything else about sexual violence, weave services, or just generally reaching out for support that you want our listeners to know? I think it's just important to know that there are so many programs at Sac State, and it's pretty exciting to be able to share that. I think I mentioned um, I went to Sac State, and I didn't know half this stuff existed. Um, so sometimes it can be really hard to know what resources are out there, and that's why raising awareness and taking advantage of, like, uh, awareness month. So in April, Sexual Assault Awareness Month is coming up and raising awareness about what are the resources? How can we highlight events and programs that are already here at Sac State doing that work is a great way to really prevent and create safer campus environment for folks. Um, and then I think it's really important for, for folks, if they have questions, call. You know, I, I definitely get really nervous picking up a phone and calling someone or emailing, um, but that is why Weave is here. That's why I'm here. I'm here to best support students who've experienced any past or present um, traumatic experiences and make sure that they are thriving, not just surviving, but thriving through their education because going to college is hard enough as it is. And we certainly want survivors to feel incredibly supportive if they have unfortunately experienced something like this and know that you got this. Let's get you to the finish line at Sac State. Let's get those dreams and those goals met um, with as much support as you need. 
Well, Laura, I really want to thank you for your time. I think this is really important for our listeners. So thank you so much for talking to us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.